Momentum Volleyball is the online Canadian hub for volleyball storytelling, reporting, and event coverage, allowing content creators to connect with fans, coaches, and players. Momentum is the hub for athletes, coaches, and fans to find free and paid volleyball content, and we are proud to be the voice of Canadian volleyball around the world. Head to MomentumVolleyball.ca to subscribe for free and get access to exclusive content and all your Canadian volleyball updates. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Passing Dimes. Really excited for today's guest. Should have got him on the show earlier. I feel like I say that a lot lately, but we got him now, so let's make use of our time. So today's guest played for the Crush Volleyball Club in Durham Attack growing up, where he's got multiple provincial and national championships. He went on to play for BYU and Ryerson at the post-secondary level. He's represented Canada at the beach at U19s. He's represented us on the indoor national team as well, and he played pro in Germany for Durham. And you may have also seen him in the One Volleyball League. Please welcome to the show my guy, Lucas Coleman. Lucas, thanks for doing this, man. Yeah, thanks, Josh. We've been trying to get this on for quite a time now, so happy to join on with you. So I'll, I'll try not to skip over anything because I feel like I've followed your career pretty closely. But for your for our listeners, excuse me, they might not know this, but uh, your your household's pretty competitive. I mean, you got a twin brother, you got an older brother, and it seemed like you guys would make, maybe be labeled a volleyball house. But I'm curious, what else were you guys up to growing up, and what made you guys all kind of get into volleyball and all play at a, a pretty high level? Yeah, so it's actually a funny story how we got into volleyball. So my uncle was the first Canadian draft of the first round of the NFL, but my mom saw how beat up he got in a physical sport like that. So essentially she thought, what's the softest sport that we can get somebody in where they're not going to have physical contact and so on. So I ended up being volleyball. And then I grew up in Brooklyn and elementary school I went to in terms of um, Ontario, especially Durham is pretty legendary in terms of athletes that have come up. Like Steve Hunt went to Meadowcrest public school, Winston Rosser and a couple other players that have played professional. So once I got in there, there's Phil Obstinick, who was the head coach and teacher at the school. And he is huge into Durham Attack volleyball. And it was like a blessing in disguise, essentially going to Meadowcrest and just being pushed into that sport by my parents. Yeah, that's awesome. And then when you started, uh, were you a Durham Attack kid? Like, how did uh, Crush become a thing for you and join up with them? I think you played a year of Attack first, right? Yeah, so I played two years, I think it was two years, yeah, two years at Durham with my older brother up on his team, so I was playing two years up with um, my brother Nick, and then Rob Wojcik was on that team, Alex Dawson, a couple other players, but I was actually setting for that team, and I was a little bit younger, smaller at that time, but once I started to grow, I, I definitely knew I wanted to play an outside hitter position, and John would always come up to my parents and I at the beach and tease, like, oh, when are you coming over to Crush, when are you coming to Crush, and it finally became reality, and I joined Crush when I was 15 to their 16 And looking back, like I'm sure at the time it wasn't a big deal, but do you have any any advice or just your own experience about what it was like always playing up? Because I think other than your 18 New Year, that was your only true year at your your birth year in the OVA when we did the single age thing. So I'm curious, was there ever any odd moments? Because I think at your peak, you even played two age groups up at one point, right? So. But was it ever weird for you to be playing against older kids across the net and sometimes older kids on your own team? I don't think so. Um, I don't think it was too weird at all because I have an older brother and I was always playing with him regardless. So it seemed natural just to play up in that older group. Advice to younger athletes, I wouldn't always jump or suggest to jump to play up because there is something to be said about if you are, let's say, a stronger player in their age group, developing at a, a little bit slower pace, you can really focus on the contacts and hone in on specific skills. I feel like the game for my maturity level was a lot more physical 
than it should have been. So let's say if I was 14, I could have start. I started playing left side at 60. So I never had passing reps in games really. So it took me a long time to get the level I was at in terms of reception and defense. So there's something to be said about really playing in your age group and having, let's say, a little bit easier reps to build up, build up that confidence when you're a younger player. So when we look back at, at Crush and everything they accomplished, and I, I'm sure there's guys rolling their eyes at me, but I, I think it was the best club team of all time, whether Eric Matson's Blues teams or some guys across the country or, or Brody Hofer had a really good cycle with his team. But for, for me, Crush was it with like guys like you, Mar, Reed May, Andrew Coker, Danny Demianenko, like just guys who went on to play for Canada. But uh, I, I'm curious, when you were as young as like 16U, did it start to feel special and you guys had like a great thing going that you're going to be competitive every year? Yeah, before I jump into Crush, there's definitely some phenomenal club teams out there that are up there with us. Um, Steve Hunt's team with Sam Schachner, Eric Matson, Ammo, and then that Pac-Man team that same year, Dan Deering and Terrell. Obviously, those, I would put them in the same tier as us, but there is for sure something special about Crush. And I know you mentioned a bunch of names there, like Steve Marr, Danny, Coker, Reed, and then Garrett's group at Crush, of course, as well. But... Where Crush, I think, really separated from the other teams was with our culture. We had our starting guys that were phenomenal and we knew how to win games, but nobody really speaks about the guys that came off the bench and really consulted and helped out. Like Gunsung Heroes of Nathan Ostapichuk, who throughout the tournament on a consistent basis is going to get subbed in, pass dimes for us, never misses serve, and be able to play front row for a few points and save our energy so when we got to the finals in a tournament or semifinals quarters whatever it was all our guys were rested and able to play at their best but most importantly those guys come off the bench i know i mentioned uh, nathan but there's eric Caldwell, there's matt Tremier, will colucci they understood what their role was and i think that is so rare to find at a young age that everybody wants to play and be on the court and there's constant parent battles there's battles between players but they understood what crush was trying to accomplish at a high level we wanted to be the best team ever in terms of club. And in order to do that, we needed our bench guys to really understand what their value was. And their value wasn't small. It was instrumental to our team when we went down to these tournaments in California, Chicago, and so on. We needed them to play really well during full play games so we could be at our best when we got into quarter, uh, quarterfinals, semifinals, and finals. Yeah, and our listeners will know John May because he's been on our show and he's been on Sharp Cuts a bunch. But uh, from your perspective... What did he really bring to the group in terms of like when you talk about being the best club team or giving these guys a role, was that something you guys would say out loud? And that was something you talked about at practice Were these happening in like one-on-one conversations where he would challenge guys. Like how did he kind of manage the group and get everybody to kind of buy in and, and excel with the team culture you had going? I don't really remember John ever saying that, you know, we want to be the best club team ever. It was just always understood that that's what our goal wanted that that's what our goal was on the team. But it was more so just about being great in every moment. Like John, I know he speaks about the four pillars of volleyball being passing and serving, but then when we get older, it's more about the focus and awareness. And John would even uh, stop a drill if based off when he's underhand serving balls at us at practice to begin the warm up. If we didn't put the ball on his hip in a right way, he would stop and ream into that player. Because throughout the entire practice, you need to be fully engaged in every action you need, that you do. You need to be at your pass. Because you put that ball higher up on his back and John fumbles it and he messes up the underhand serve, we just wasted the round. So he, we understood that when practice started, focus was completely 
drilled in every single moment. <laughs> yeah, tell me more about practice because I think some of the listeners would have heard me tell this story. But I, I was asking Aaron to do a bunch of questions at dinner one night, and finally he just got frustra- so frustrated that he's like, "Okay, just come to practice." So. I show up and everybody's kind of trickling in at a different time because it was a school night. So everybody who was there early, we got the net up and then everybody was playing short court. And I mean, everybody like me and Roman Coker got to play like everybody's just playing uh, King short court. But then coach arrives, everybody's there. You do like a quick chat and then you, I see the most competitive focus pepper I've ever seen. And then you're into this drill where no joke, John May is underhand serving at the national champions. And you guys are in this really focused passing drill. And that one kind of builds into three or four layers. And then you play super competitive wash where I don't know. I went there expecting to see like some magic, some drills I've never seen before, but like the drill design and practice design was, was pretty simple, but the level of intensity and focus you guys brought, I think is what really made it special. And and I'm curious, what did you think of the practice environment? Like, did you feel like you always had to be on because either coach was going to be on you or the guy across the net was going to be on you? Like when you say like, you don't waste reps, how did that feel as like a teenager in this practice environment? That's a great question. So my favorite part about crash, and I, I really see the value about it now when John started off his practices, the underhand serving across the net. We'd have to get 50 perfect passes in a row. It didn't matter what position you were, if it's a middle passing or a setter passing, of course, the other positions. We had to get 50 perfect passes in a row. The setter would set. After you pass, you'll catch that set. And if the ball drops, we start over. If we don't get 50 in a row, we don't move on to the next drill. So I remember in my 60 new year, there'd be off nights, of course, everybody has off nights, but we'd get through that drill in 45 minutes. And then one day, John just ended the practice, thought, you know what, we got through that. That was tough. And we're not ready to compete at the level we want to compete. So we're going to end today, but we're going to come back on Wednesday, whatever day it is, and be better. So there's multiple times where John would end the practice short if he understood the atmosphere in there that we weren't ready to compete at the level that we needed to. There's no real forcing it in any way. We just understood like, hey, we need to be better. That was the thing. Wow. Wow. And I do want to take a little bit of a dive into your 18 new year because as you mentioned, in your 17 new year, you guys play up and win 18 new. And I think part of the reason you guys played up is I think you had uh, guys like Kyle Fick and Grant DeGorman who were true 18 new year. So it was a good way to keep them involved. But the core of the team was 17 new. But then in your, well, not even your 18 new because you still have one more year, but uh, in Reed and Danny and Andrew's 18 new year, you guys went to the States a bunch. And I'm curious, was there just a general stereotype about like, oh, we're playing a Canadian team? And did that ever shift when you guys started taking down some of these bigger tournaments? Yeah, so I think at that point, once we played the stronger teams in the United States, like they knew who Crush was at a high level. They knew we were going to be a good team and at their level. So there was no real like disrespect and thinking, oh, it's just some Canadian team coming down here and thinking they're good. It was real good volleyball. But, I mean, we played some very tough teams down there. When we were down in California specifically, there was MVVC, who had Ben Patch at the time, Joe Grosh, who was starting middle at BYU for a couple of years. Uh, James Shaw was a starting setter. So it's an outside hitter going up against the block when you're 17 against a 6'8 Ben Patch and a 6'8 James Shaw, who are both jumping close to 40 inches. Well, Patch is well over that probably. Um, it, it was just a completely different level of volleyball for that age group. But what really prepped us to play at that level, we would scrimmage against York. We'd scrimmage against U of T and we'd scrimmage against Ryerson and we'd beat them all. So we knew once we got down there that we were going to play some awesome teams but we are ready for that level of competition the toughest team we actually played down in the states um 
Unfortunately, I can't remember any of the names of the players because we knew nothing about them and they caught us off guard. Was a West Dallas club, and I think they're based out in Wisconsin. But all those players went on to Loyola, and they ended up winning back to back national championships. Nice, nice. And at that point, were you already thinking of post secondary, or was that a time that it really got your attention where some NCAA schools started looking at you guys? I'm sure the Canadian schools were already talking to you. Like, was it around 16 year you started getting interested, or was it your 17 year year that you started to look at where you wanted to go to post secondary? I think it was the start of my 17 year year where I really realized I wanted to try and go down to the States. So once we had the tournament lined up in Chicago and the tournament in uh, Anaheim down in California, I emailed basically every single B1 school and try to get interest. And just because they're not coming up to Ontario to recruit. So I sent down some videos, gathered some interest. They came out to games. And then once I started to get positive reactions from some of those schools. I thought, okay, this is it. I definitely want to go down to the States. Um, I think there is a little bit of an ego trip too, just because we were beating the schools in Ontario as a club team. I thought, okay, I want to try and go down to that other level. And what was kind of on your list as far as where you wanted to go? Like, were you just emailing schools that you thought had a really good volleyball program? Were you looking for a certain study? Like, did you know you're going to be away from home, like big school, small school? Like when you started to really narrow down some options, when it became a, a serious choice, what kind of led you into your decision? Yeah. So initially it was, who's the best school? I want to go play for the best school. But then you realize with Title IX, it's very difficult to do just because there's only, at that time, I don't know if it's the same now, but it was four and a half scholarships for it's a roster of 18 players. And as an international student to come down, and get a full ride scholarship, it's virtually impossible unless you're a six eight stud who's going to be leading score in that league or a phenomenal setter like the Christensen level. Uh, so it wasn't more so, it was who's going to give me the best offer. So uh, I'm trying to put the timeline together. So Crush graduates, or, or at least the core graduates, and then you choose to play at Durham Attack your last year. Were you already committed to BYU going into 18U or did you decide during your, your last year, like your true grade 12 year, what you were going to do? Yeah, so it was actually during my grade 12 year. I had a on-site, so I went down for a recruiting trip and I spent basically the whole time with uh, Taylor Sander and a couple of the other players and just fell in love with the school, the atmosphere down there. I thought, okay, I'm just going to focus on my program. Volleyball is second to none at BYU compared to the States at that time. And then in school, like I was a good student, I was a B plus average, but because there's only like maybe 50 B1 schools down in the States and all the Californian schools, you need like a 4.0 as an international student to get some sort of scholarship down there at UCLA, USC, Pepperdine, and so on. And that just wasn't realistic. So BYU, Penn State, Loyola, those are probably my three uh, best options, but once I went down to BYU, I canceled all my other trips. I thought, all right, this is it. This is what I'm going to do. Now, just to kind of jump into BYU, because I remember talking to you when you you came home and we ran some clinics together, and I was just blown away just how McGowan liked to run that program. Uh, I don't really remember all the details, but you mentioned like they had a handbook. They mentioned you guys would count like drill wins and stat practices. Like, what was it like being in that environment? Because you played for, like I said, the best club team of all time, but going into a university that feels like a pro team and they're going to stat everything and they're not afraid to put it on the wall. Like, was that like a new experience for you? Or is that kind of what you expected post-secondary volleyball to be like? Yeah, it was a huge culture change. Being at BYU, that was definitely the most professional atmosphere I've been in the volleyball. 
Now, I was never at the level where I played for the senior men's national team or international for like in the Italian league or Russia. I'm sure it would be a little bit different. But at BYU, I mean, like serve and pass, it wasn't just you're going in to serve and pass. Every single pass you do is being statted. And if you're under a certain score at the end of the practice, you run lines. So it was just every single stat was on there. If you're scrimmaging and you hit it into the block and it's low into the middle blocker, that's a bad hitting choice. You're getting that on the statting board and you're running essentially after. So it was very high pressure every single moment. And I know... Obviously, he was still a collegiate level athlete at that time, and obviously, he's transferred to the beach. But what was it like just seeing Taylor Sander train? Like, could you tell that he was going to be one of the best players in the world? Like, was he really dialed in at training to, like, like did it show that he was going to be starting on the the U.S. team as soon as he left school? I think I was a little naive. I knew he was phenomenal and world class at that time, but after that year, it was his last year when I was there, and I think he was not a rookie on the senior men's national team, but he went in after that collegiate year and was. MVP of Wilbur. I, I had no idea he was at that level at that time. I was blown away, blown away by his performance pretty much every practice, but I did not know he was at that level at that time. And then you make the decision to come home, and I'm curious, uh, how many coaches knew you were coming home? Like, how many people kind of did like a, a second trip to kind of recruit you that way, or did you kind of approach Ryerson based on what you wanted to study, maybe be a little bit closer to home? Maybe you knew some guys on the team. Like, just what went into the decision to go to Ryerson over another youth sports school you might be considering? Yeah, so that's a good question. When Before I chose BYU, I was speaking with University of Alberta a little bit. I would have loved to go there. And McMaster, of course, like all my crush buddies, ended up going to McMaster. So I was speaking with Dave a little bit after I was in that transfer window. But I would have went to Alberta at the end of the day if they did have a program that was had something that interested me, but just didn't happen. And McMaster, there's just something about it where I didn't really want to like follow and go back into the crossroads. I wanted to do a little bit of my own thing, be a bit closer to home. Uh, Ryerson was only about 45 minutes away from the family. So, and I played at Durham Attack with like three of those guys. I played Team Ontario with. Adam Agnostopoulos, who's a phenomenal setter. And I just felt like, you know what? If I can't join Mac, I need to go to the next best school that has potential to beat them. And I thought that was Ryerson. Now, I think it's fair to say after like the Can-Am event and seeing what Trinity did on their trip, and it's not unusual for a youth sports team to go to the NCAA and play that. I think men's volleyball, we're on par. If not, I think we win maybe a little bit more. But I am curious, going from a top school like BYU to Ryerson, was there anything that kind of caught your eye or did you feel comfortable right away? Did you feel like the level was good enough for what you wanted from your volleyball? Like how did that transition kind of feel for you? It was different because at BYU would have taken me for sure a couple of years to become a starter, but then you go to Ryerson and right away you're a starter, key player, probably second option on the floor. So it was more so about performing in game all the time and not so much development versus at BYU, they're going to be patient. They're going to take their time, get me to develop because based off players that were a little bit older than me and a little bit better than me at that time, they didn't need me to try and rush and get on that court right away. They really wanted to develop. So it was very different. Um, but I have to say, I absolutely love playing with Ryerson. All those guys I played with, like Brett Whitley, Brandon Kuhn, Brandon Jordan, they're all my best friends now and I'm super close with them. That's awesome. And just to, to circle back and, and start jumping around a little bit because there is a lot to cover. 
I believe you went the beach route before the indoor route for Canada. Like you represented uh, Canada at U19 twice. Like you and Coker took a really good uh, ninth, I think, and then you played with Blake. So do I have my timeline correct that you played beach for two years before you went uh, the indoor side for Team Canada? Yeah, so I went beach. That's right. I went beach with Coker first and then Blake the following summer. And the whole reason was it's just all the crush guys every summer as soon as indoor was over. John was such a beach guy and Aaron was so instrumental with crush. He was fresh off retiring from the beach that we basically played like every other day. Um, we had Marquise because of John's connection as our personal coach too. So it was myself and Reed, we were partners at the time. And uh, we had practice against Danny and Andrew pretty much every other day. Yeah, I remember you and Reed. I might have been one of the best HNU matches I've ever seen was against Danny and Coker at, at Provincials. So what was it like, you know, every time you go to a tournament or every time you battle, like you're playing against your buddies, like were you able to kind of switch on and compete and then switch off and be buddies at the end? Or did it take a few hours after a match like that to kind of refresh and be friends with everybody again? Oh, yeah. With those guys, uh, we could turn off that friendship pretty quickly when we are playing <laughs> against each other, especially Reed and I, because Danny and uh, Andrew beat us every single time. Like We had never beaten them until that HMU Provincial Championship, and we got a little bit lucky, too, because they flew back uh, from their worlds like maybe a week before that. So they are resting all week. We knew it was a good opportunity for us. Hey, if we're going to beat them once this year or ever, this is the time. But uh, no, we could turn it off, compete against each other, and then immediately after, be close friends. And then how did you feel about your World Championships years? Because I think uh, the year you played with Coker, you would have uh, had a tough crossover with Brill, who I think went on to win the tournament. And like Irma Cora was there, Sorum was there. Uh, I, I'm just going up and down the list here. Like It looks like your year was a pretty good year for guys going on to play on the World Tour. So what did you think of like your first international tournament and just the difference in level between, say, like an OVA or Volleyball Canada Nationals to a, a world championship? Well, the level of play, I don't think it was that much higher. But that being said, we were playing in the men's division all the time. And that, that was probably the peak of the OVA on the beach tour back when you were actually running it as well. Like you, we had have a pool play game and we're playing against Shackner, Steve Marshall, Cam Whelan, Grant, Aaron, like Garrett, all these guys every single week. Um, so when we got to the uh, world championships, like, honestly, I feel like Andrew and myself, we were probably top four there, bottom of that top four. But um, right before, the week before that, uh, Maddie Z and came, they really gave it to us in a game. Uh, we won the first set. They won the second. It was 10-10. Then they got five points against us in a row in a dramatic fashion. And we, we were crushed after we, Andrew and I decided a week before the championship we should switch sides. And then everybody served Andrew in the OVA. But then when we got over to the world championship, everybody served me. So it was completely opposite to what we are used to. We are too young and didn't really know how to handle that pressure at that time. We should have just switched back. And I think things would have been a lot different. But quality of play, just based on against the OVA at that time, it honestly wasn't that much different. We were really well prepared. We should have just made a little bit of better decisions. Now, do you think you got targeted? Were you full-time blocking or were you and Andrew splitting? Because I think sometimes that's a trend is if you don't have a scavenger report on the other team, you just try to make the blocker kind of gas themselves, right? That's exactly what it was. And we were playing in snipers at the time and it was hard sand. It was basically like if everyone's played at Coburg Beach before, it was like Coburg, but even harder sand. So everyone was spike serving. 
and everyone was serving the blocker, trying to get the, the cliche, like the weaker passers, typically the blocker at that age group. They're less in shape and running up to the net on their serve as well. So everybody served me off the bat if there was no um, scouting report. And it crushed us. It was like 40 degrees there in Cyprus. You, you open up your hotel room door and it's like a wall of dry heat just hits you. That's so gnarly. So after you go, uh, I believe you played Youth Worlds 13 and 14. And then I think if I have my dates right, you switched over to indoor in 15. And I think a lot of the same names came up because the second time you went to Beach World, you played with Shearhorn. And then I believe you two both made uh, the junior national team in 2015. So is that just a credit to your year where a bunch of guys could have played Beach Indoor? Like, when you finally made the decision to just look around and be like, I've been playing with or against these guys my whole career. Yeah, it was, it was great playing on that junior team, but to talk about the beach and the transition a little bit, I think any top indoor player can convert over to the beach and be a pretty significant player, especially when it comes to side out, just naturally the indoor game's a little bit more physical. And if you have a little bit of finesse to your game, and I think everybody can learn that it's a little bit easier of a transition. And if you're a bigger guy with ball control, then for sure. Like, look at um, Taylor Sander. He just made the switch over. I know we've talked about him a little bit. I think him and Crab are going to be a phenomenal team on the beach. And just given he's a top five outside hitter at his peak in the world, now he's switching over to the beach and he's automatically going to be a main draft team in their first year. Probably get on the podium sometimes. But looking at that junior team, yeah, it was it was great playing on that team, especially that first trial, how it worked. is It was just a tournament, so the provincial team, or I forget what it was called, but Team Ontario competed against TBC, Alberta, and so on. But that Team Ontario team had myself, uh, Blake Shearhorn, Poppers, Adam Angsopoulos, Will Lawton, and we went 16-0. We didn't drop a set that whole tournament, so a bunch of us moved on to the national team, but there's no real tryout. They just picked from that tournament, which I thought was really interesting. But yeah, that Blake and I, we kind of played the two summers together and moved on up there. Yeah, that was such a cool year because I think, again, just looking at what Timo was doing, you mentioned like Adam from Ryerson was on your team, but did you, are you Arthur Swark's age and like Shearhorn? Like uh, Arthur was on that team as well. Maybe I forgot about him. Yeah, he was playing um, opposite at that time. Yeah, yeah. So interesting because I think for Beach, you would have went through a trial system and then Team Ontario, you were identified through National Team Challenge Cup. But uh, who was your coach? Was it Barrett for your junior national team year? It was Barrett. So we had Barrett as the um, head coach and then Dave Mackey and Brock Badger. Awesome, awesome. And then again, what was the jump to international ball? Because you'd already been playing at such a high level, but when you went to either Norseca or Worlds, was the game more physical? Was the speed different? Or did it kind of feel similar just with like all-star teams from every country? Yeah, that first summer was a little bit different because we only played in the Norseca event. So we went, or the World Championship qualifier. So we went down to El Salvador and we're playing some of those teams that like El Salvador itself or Honduras. So the level of play wasn't as high. But then as soon as you cross over, you play against Team USA. It was I pretty much the identical program that we do with the colleges, universities, and so on. So that was the same. And we actually, that was probably one of my best wins ever as a player is just beating USA in the fifth set to go against Cuba in the final. But when we got against Cuba, that was like men playing against boys. They were just so much more physical than us. They all hit the ball harder. 
Their ball control was a lot better. They're they're just at a completely another level. And when you look back, like I, I think the team comes together a little bit short notice sometimes for these world championships, and, and the training can be pretty gnarly. Whether it's two a days or just training in a hot gym in the Canadian summer, sometimes like when you look back at your Team Canada experience. What was it like just in terms of the training load coming off your school year, but also just getting to know the other guys? Because I think you would have played with Brar, with Sean C, maybe your setter, like just kind of bringing in guys from across the country to make one all-star team. Uh, how did it feel like just getting to know each other and, and making this team together? Yeah, that was interesting because everybody, if volleyball is such a small world. Everybody knows who everybody is and you hear stories about what they're like and so on. But then once you're actually placed in the gym together, it's just you really start to experience like, oh, this guy who lives in BC, like they're going to be my guy this summer who I'm hanging out with the whole time. So it was really cool. And then once you play with them and you're going through the university, you start to follow like, oh, I wonder how Nikifor is playing at U of A. And you're starting to get competitive. Like, I know this guy got a normal summer. I want to have a better year than him and so on. Um, but uh, that was those are probably some of the best summers of my life playing on that junior team, just traveling around the world, meeting guys that all have the same aspirations as yourself. Every when you're playing at that age, everybody's goal is to get to that senior men's national team. It didn't happen for me, unfortunately, but it did for Coppers, who I played with, Blake Shearhorn. I played I grew up with Steve Marcush and I went to high school with him. So it's great to see it, but just being in that atmosphere where everybody has that same end goal as you, it's very refreshing. Yeah, so remind me, I think you guys medaled at the Norseca, and then you get to Worlds, and I think you take an eighth, which at that time for Canada was a really respectful win and probably a bit of a grind. So what do you remember about the draw at World Champs and just seeing, again, the level and just playing against guys who are probably playing pro at that time? Maybe they don't have a school system in some of these countries. Like, What kind of stands out about earning that result for Canada? Yeah, so I, I can't remember who exactly was in our pool, but we were playing in Mexico at that point, and we actually had Mexico in our pool, so that was a crazy atmosphere. I mean, that was probably the first time in my career where you actually had packed stands for a volleyball game, and uh, we had Turkey in our pool, and that was the one team we lost to, and that caught us off guard, or at least me personally, because at that point, I'm still, I think I know a lot about volleyball, and I didn't know too much about Turkey as a volleyball country. But they're very impressive, and all these guys at 20 were playing professional either in the A1 league or their A2. So they're a lot more physical than us. They're a lot sharper, and they were just more battle ready, in my opinion. And like Turkey, like it's a tough country as well. You have to go through military service, and it's just the clash of cultures is so different. Um, like I'll never forget watching Japan play or as soon as the libero or middle comes off the floor, like it's just such a respectful culture, the libero or middle bows to their coach. It was just mind blowing to me. It was just seeing all these different countries and how they are um, so different from Canada. And it, was there any time that you felt like you needed to change your game? Cause I think you're always known as a, a pretty aggressive guy, a pretty physical player, but at six four, I'm wondering, were you considered physical at a world level? Like, did you ever have to change your game or modify anything to start to like earn points against some of these top players? Yeah, it definitely grew my game a lot, but just more so personally on the guys I was playing with on our side of the net, because every team I played on, even on crush, I was uh, one or two option. And then when you get onto the national team, like I'm playing on the pink pins beside uh, Nikafor, Blake, Coppers, and then we have Arthur in the middle like slowly I start to become the third or fourth option. So now whenever I get set, I need to score. I'm probably having a one-on-one or just a double block up. 
but I need to pass well, I need to serve well, I need to block well, I'm not just that point scorer. So learning from what actually helped me get through that too is just the culture we had on Crush and looking back at all the bench guys, like they understood their role and how they needed to be successful to make the team successful. When I realized on the junior national team, like, hey, that player you're at at Ryerson is not the player you're going to be here for the national team and it's not what you need in order to win. That helped me quickly realize like, okay, I need to be efficient in my role and every practice I need to make practice a little bit better and make sure the compete level is at, as high as possible. Yeah. Uh, so, and that helped me bring that kind of atmosphere or understanding of what other players' roles were when I went back to Ryerson. Yeah, I was going to say, how did you tie that back into Ryerson? Because I noticed the year after your Team Canada stuff, like you go back and you're averaging uh, 4.41 points per set. Uh, the year after, you're 4.7, and like you had one match where you had like 30 points. So, uh, I'm curious. How did you switch your mindset from going to like be support, take care of your job, like find ways to contribute to you're going to get the most volume and everybody in the gym knows you're going to get the ball on serious situations? Like, did that ever change your approach to every match? I, I don't think it changed my approach every match. It's just I had a new understanding of the game just because um, I was a little bit taller at a young age and always coordinated. So I played the role of the point scorer, but I didn't understand from like actually living it what the other players' roles were like on the team. So I think at the end of the day, I just became a little bit better of a teammate after that summer and then just kept getting better at that capacity. And how would you say your uh, leadership style changed throughout the years? And the reason I bring that up is your your time at Ryerson, there was a couple coaches changes. And I know whenever a new coach comes in, it's very tempting to change the culture. But I'm curious, did you have a chance to speak to the new coaches who were coming in, whether it was the interim coach or the next full-time coach about like, what you bring to the table, what the group of guys in the room is already about. Like, were you able to kind of advocate for the group of guys or was it really just speaking to the new coach and figuring out what they wanted the team to be about? Yeah, so that's something that Ryerson, I, I'm really happy now they have a pretty solid with Matt Harris, his head coach, and Nico supporting him. But at my time at Ryerson, we had four head coaches in five years. And as a team that has the players, if we had some stability in that capacity, for let's say three years, I think we had the talent to compete against the Mac, but we just didn't have the consistency at that level to really grind like, okay, this year we're going to get this much better, this year we're going to get that much better and put ourselves in the best position possible to beat them two, three years down the road. It was always kind of focused on the short term. Um, but that being said, we had some great leaders on our team. Adam Angusopoulos was our captain for most of the years and he really understood like how to rally the troops, how to bridge that gap between that new coach that was coming in and the players. Um, I would say I kind of facilitated more in like the support capacity to him, but really the credit goes to Adam. That was not an easy job, just helping out with all the coaches we had. And that being said, all the coaches we did have were phenomenal and they would have been a perfect fit if they were there for three plus years. But I mean, we had Merrick the first year. Then we had, um, Dustin Reed, who was coaching the women's head coaching the women's team and head coaching the men's, and then Matt Harris was kind of our assistant coach at the time, going back and forth as well. And then that third year we had Matt Harris, and then that fourth year we had um, Matt Harris and Adam Sybeck, and then we had um, just Matt Harris. So it was really difficult in terms of like the coaching dynamic, because everyone was just focused on performing as well as possible, and Matt's year not looking like the next year after so and really developing yeah for sure i think it definitely contributes and 
as you went through the league, like, was it reassuring for you to kind of build Ryerson into a name again? Because I think the the Snake uh, Vandenberg era, excuse me, like they were always competitive and they were putting up first team all stars and stuff. But then there was a little bit of a lull where uh, was it something talked about in the team room that you were going to challenge like the Max or the Waterloo's or the teams that were consistently getting that spot at Nationals like Queens? Like it felt like it was the same teams over and over again where you guys finally cracked the code and, and made some final fours and were challenging teams. And like you said, had the talent to maybe beat a Mac. But uh, I'm curious just the way kind of Ontario is swung where, like I said, it's been very top heavy. It was nice to see another team competitive and kind of put a little doubt in every fan's mind that there was going to be a very meaningful final four in the OUA every year you guys were there. Yeah, our goal, I mean, we always talk about beating back, but realistically, our goal, I think, was being best for the rest at that point, being better than the Queens, being better than the Waterloo, being better than Windsor, Western, the other teams. And I think for the most part, during our time at Ryerson, we did accomplish that. But um, our main goal was really getting to nationals. We knew there was two birds going, and if we were best in the rest, we were going to get to nationals and get uh, Ryerson its first birth. And we, we were able to do that one year. We should have done it three years, in my opinion. But uh, we, we did end up getting there. But we did talk about trying to bring Ryerson back to those glory days of the snake when he was there, Oleg. Um, we had Lucas setting at that point. And trying to build a program up where we can get top recruits like Exam. And when you guys did go to nationals, is that just something that takes experience? Like just the change of mindset that you're going to play one match a day and the matches are going to get harder and that everybody puts a lot of attention on that quarterfinal. And uh, for your year, I mean, you're playing at McMaster's gym, but that might not feel comfortable because just because you've been there before, but now it's on sport court. There's probably more people around. You're playing an out-of-conference team, I think. Like how did your first national championship feel for you sports? It was great. I mean, we had a tough draw where we pulled Trinity Western in that first round, and I think we gave them a real competitive match and ended up losing in four. But um, I, I, they were a better team at that point, too, of course. Like, they beat every team there and upset back to the final. But that first Nationals, where it really helped was probably with our other guys that, because we had big turnover the next year with a bunch of players on the bench that were going to start, that gave them the confidence to really perform the following season and make us like we, my last two years out of the players we have in the court, we definitely got the most out of our guys based off what we had. Yeah, definitely. And with your experience at Ryerson and playing junior national team, I'm always curious and I kind of get a laugh out of it sometimes on the show. How did your agent come about and how did you decide your first pro offer? Because uh, what I'm learning about indoor volleyball is it's not similar to what you see in like the big four here in North America, where you kind of get drafted and you belong to this team and it's like a smooth pathway where sometimes in men's volleyball, it's, it really depends who you know, who's got an opening, what your agent does and, and how what country you want to play in. Like there's a lot to consider. So for you, when you decided you wanted to play pro, what was the first step for you? Was it finding an agent and, and kind of going from there? Well, where I lucked out is in our last year, we had Adam Simak, who was coaching. He is fresh off playing professional, and he knew everybody there was in the whole volleyball world internationally. So I gave him some names for agents that had reached out to me, and he kind of advised, like, hey, you should go with them when you start out. Maybe go do that for a couple of years. And then once you're solidified, maybe reach out to a different agent that is a bit smaller, can give you a bit more attention. But I went with LZ at the beginning, and they basically, like, run the French League. Uh, they have so many players in all these other leagues around the world too, including Germany, where I ended up. But I went with Raiko and um, to there, and he was phenomenal. I mean, I ended up getting hurt that professional season, and he was right there with me, messaging me, like helping facilitate the surgery and so on, because 
mean, I'm getting a surgery in a foreign country. So I'm definitely happy I went with them. But yeah, it was just kind of, volleyball world is so small and everybody wants to see another, as a Canadian, you want to see another Canadian succeed. So I was speaking to some of the guys on the national team. And of course, like close friends with Steve Mars so getting his opinion on things. But yeah, it's just reaching out to your other Canadian friends. Yeah, if, if it's not too personal, and believe me, I can edit this part out, but I am curious, just with the pressure that comes with being a foreign player, how meaningful was it for you when your club stood by you and they helped you line up the surgery and go for that? Because I imagine there's been players who get sent home after an injury and for your club to kind of do a first-class thing, like, uh, are, are you one of the lucky ones? Did you have that good relationship? Did your agent step in? Like, how do you think that came together? Because like I said, there, there's probably been people on the show who didn't have a good experience with their club and would have been sent home to try to take care of it. Like, as soon as they couldn't play, they probably would be released, right? So uh, how do you think your process landed the way it did? So I think there's a couple of things that factor in here. One is how you're performing because the club will always look out for you if you're performing well. And two, what country you're in, just based off culture. But I think that I was in Germany. The German culture in terms of healthcare and so on is very similar to Canada. And during, I was signed on as the last or the fourth outside hitter. And right before my surgery, I ended up starting into the P2 spot. We had a big win over Bloomberg the week before my surgery was scheduled. And I was at a point where the team trusted me. They wanted, they had a contract ready for me to sign for the following year. Um, at that point, when I knew I was getting the surgery, I, I was done playing volleyball. But uh, they supported me throughout the entire way. They wanted me to get the surgery. They knew I was in pain and I wasn't going to be able to play at my best if I didn't do it. And they walked me through the entire process. And it was a very, very positive experience because even if your club cuts you and you have to go home, with Canada and how their healthcare system works, it's going to take months before you get the surgery. I told Dern, they're like, hey, when you make your decision, let us know and we'll get it scheduled. I made my decision. They had it scheduled within two days for the week following. That's crazy. And then uh, did you stay and do most of the rehab in Germany or did you try to get home as soon as you could? Yeah, so I, I did all my rehab in Germany. It was difficult too because I had a hip surgery, which my whole leg was swollen. I couldn't get up the stairs without help. And, I even had to have Irvin Barr, who was my roommate, uh, played on the junior national team with him as well. But we were playing in Durham together. He'd have to help me for the first week get out of the shower. Just because it was the bathtub style, you couldn't walk in. Like It was just very uncomfortable and did all my uh, therapy there as well. Because Durham, they, they really wanted me back for the following season. And there's a little bit of a benefit for them too, because they signed me as the fourth um, outside and I was overperforming as a P2 so I could have made more money but because I got the surgery they were going to offer me something just slightly more where I wouldn't make nearly as much anywhere any other club just because I'm coming off a pretty serious surgery as well so it was a benefit for them to kind of help me stick around and I was a cheap player for them for what the value they're going to get out and did you ever play again? Like, did you ever play in like the one volleyball league after the surgery or any tournaments? Like, did, was that truly career ending for you? Um, I, I could have kept playing. Like, it's not a career ending injury. It's just a more so personal decision. I wasn't enjoying the sport too much at that point, but uh, where I would love to play volleyball again, I just want to play any position other than set or sorry, other than outside. I'd love to set. I'd, <laughs> I'd play middle. I'd play opposite, libero, just anything that. I wasn't doing when I was playing volleyball really serious because you're just you're not going to be at that skill level. And how frustrating is that knowing like physically you can do those things, but skill wise, you're just not there. 
and you're you're so competitive, you're you're playing at the highest level around the world. But if you can't compete at that point anymore, it's, it's just not fun. So I rather play a different position where it's like you can actually enjoy playing the sport. And you're not constantly battling yourself. Yeah. So just to take one step back uh, again, when you did play one volleyball, like you mentioned, the OVA Beach Tour kind of peaked when you were a young guy, and it was good to play against that competition. Uh, did that kind of remind you of what you were doing with one volleyball, where you were a guy in that league, and Steve Hunt and Terrell? I'm going to forget people like Batty. All these guys kind of played in that league where it was. Don't get me wrong, it was super competitive, but there was also like, it was pretty chill, it was pretty social, where like everybody would come play and beat up on each other, but then we'd go like hang out after, right? So, what, what did that kind of league mean to you in terms of getting ready for pro, but also just showing you that like you could play at a high level even after Ryerson? Yeah, it was perfect. So, the first year they had it, it was right after, it was the following summer after the junior national team. And I thought, okay, like I'm not going to try out for the B team. I still want to get my reps in. So, the one volleyball league, I think it was just like an eight week commitment. Um, you're playing against all these guys that are fresh playing professional. So it was a real test to think like, okay, where am I, where am I at in comparison to these guys that are getting paid to play right now? And it was just a different level of physicality compared to the university league. So that was awesome playing in that. I wish they still had something like that, obviously with COVID permitting, but uh, the one volleyball league was really at its peak those first two years where you had like the Steve Hines, Ray, Jory, uh, Batty, Andre Brown, and then Austin Chopin was there as well. He came out of retirement to play in that, watching him play at, I think, like 35 and just beating up on every team. It was it was crazy to see a lot of fun. Yeah, man, this is awesome. I, I know I promised you an hour here, so just to wrap up, it's been great to hear about your career and everything that you've gone through and just kind of go through the journey of the crush days to university to pro and, and kind of ending with one volleyball. But uh, one thing we've made a tradition on the show is just to kind of tell a funny story. So I was hoping you could give us a laugh before we let you go. Yeah, I got. I don't know how much of a funny story this is, but just given uh, John Mayer, Shooter, he's on the sharp cuts or pass dimes quite often. Thought to give it John's story, but so I, I personally think our best uh, crush team ever was the seven one. Yeah, we were seventeen. You playing with Aaron Nesbaum and Brandon O'Gorman, Kyle Fick. But in our first tournament of the year, we ended up losing to Mac in the quarterfinals. And they had Dan Gronville. They're the one team that always gave us trouble and they ended up beating us that tournament. So, John, we, we stuck around to play our finish for the fifth place. And as they're giving out medals, John goes around and grabs a mic. And he wants to wish uh, Mac congratulations on winning the tournament. They played outstanding and so on, gave him their credit. But then, right at the end, he leans in and says, I just want to let everyone here know that Crush is never losing another tournament again this year. <laughs> <laughs> we are all thinking like, oh my gosh, I can't believe John just said that. Like you're driving home to the normal rush. There's so much pressure. We just lost a tournament. We had lost in the full year and a half. Don't know what's going on, but to his credit, it was true. <laughs> but uh, that was just the kind of confidence John had in his team and his personality. Like, I don't think I've ever met somebody that would have the balls to, to say that on the mic in front of everybody. And was that ever revisited a practice where he's like, guys, I put a target on. It's like, now we got to perform. Like it was just something that everybody like you witnessed it. So you knew it was a thing or does that something you guys brought up pretty frequently? Practice definitely got a little bit more intense. I can't remember us bringing it up at all. I know I would have for sure laughed with poker about it and read, but um, yeah, it was pretty uh, mind blowing. Let's say the, the gym was pretty quiet after he gave that speech. 
<laughs> oh man, I can totally picture him saying that, and I bet you anybody who's listening to an episode with the big shooter on can definitely picture that as well. So that's a good one to add to our list, man. So yeah, it took a little longer than I would have liked, but thank you for coming on and sharing all that you did. I was a yeah, big fan sure. of your big fan of your career, and just to kind of hear the details that went into it and some behind the scenes. Just thank you for sharing all that you did tonight. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Hopefully, I can join Sharp Cuts soon. Oh, definitely. That that shows a little easier to get on. You just got to, you know, be available when Garrett's available. Yeah, just chirp <laughs> a little. <laughs>